episode 120, Abolitionist Social Work, on the Social Workers Rise podcast. Hello, and welcome to Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We are going to hear stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine here. If you don't know who I am, I am your host of the Social Workers Rise podcast. I've been doing this podcast since January of 2020. I'm also a therapist and have many, many years of experience in medical social work. Additionally, I am also a speaker coach, and course content creator. So I do a little bit of everything with my social work skills, and that is what I like to talk about here. Not necessarily what I do, but I like to talk about how our skills are extremely transferable to different industries and how the social work profession is exploding in growth. It is amazing. And we are one of the fastest growing professions out of all professions. So it's really, really amazing to see all of the different possibilities that you can tap into as a social worker. And today we're going to be kind of talking about the other end about what needs to change in our social work industry. So we're going to be talking about abolitionist social work, what it is, what the goal is, and why this is needed right now. And if you aren't familiar with abolitionist social work, I encourage you to still listen and learn with an open mind. And it's probably not as scary as you think. You're probably already doing a lot of the same techniques that our guest Myra Wright is going to talk about as far as abolitionist social work is concerned. So before we get into that, I just wanted to give you a little update on what I've been doing. I have... I've been busy. I feel like I'm doing the same things, but I've been busy. So I do therapy. I also do, obviously, the podcast. And I've also been working on building up my in-person network here around uh, in my city and in my county just to get out there and meet other business owners and meet specifically other women and other people who are driven, who have that entrepreneur spirit, who want to continue to improve themselves. And I found that this has given me a lot of new energy, a lot of new creative ideas, and just a renewed sense of, I don't know if it's confidence or value, what it is, because when I show up in these spaces, I'm often one of the only mental health professionals, and I'm always welcomed with open arms. And people are always really, really grateful that I'm there because they know that the need is there within their communities, their families, their friends, their coworkers. They know that the mental 
health support is definitely needed. So that has been really refreshing to see, to kind of step out of the social work bubble and poke my head into other industries to see what is going on. In addition, this is also helping me to practice my speaking skills because when I show up for you, I want to be entertaining for you and I also want to give you education and value. And I would like to be funnier, but you know, that's not just something that just happens with the snap of your finger. I wish it was. But that's my goal for you is to make learning fun and engaging because this is cool stuff. Or I might just be a nerd and I geek out on this stuff. But I really love talking about social work and these different topics and meeting these guests that we bring onto the show. It's really, really fascinating to just hear other people's stories and to be able to share my passion, my experience, and my insights to you with the intention of helping the new social worker, right? So that is my goal for this podcast is to do a hand, like reach my hand back to the new social workers who are in school, you're getting your BSW, you're getting your MSW, or you've even graduated, right? What do you need to know? What do you really need to know that you may not have learned in grad school? That is what this podcast is for, is to be an extra support, an added source of information, knowledge, and mentorship that you can turn to and learn about new things as they come up for you in your career. This is episode 120, so there are 120 topics that you can go back and listen to, and I promise there will be a handful of them that are definitely, definitely applicable to what you're doing now. And with that said, I'm really, really happy and grateful that you are listening because you are one of the people who have put the social workers rise and this just blows my mind. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? I can't even believe I'm about to say this, but social workers rise podcast is consistently in the top 100 of career podcasts of all career podcasts, right? Not just social work, but all career podcasts worldwide out of 3 million podcasts. Can you believe this? We are in top 100 consistently on the charts. That blows my mind. We've been ranked number 10 in the Apple podcast in the career section. I'm just like, wow, that is amazing. Talking about, talk about social workers rise. That's wild. And so I want to thank you for being here, for listening, for giving me your time and your energy and your attention, because I know that there are 3 million other podcasts that you could be listening to, but you chose to be here with me. And I really, really honor that. And I respect that. And I strive to give you the best value for your time and the best guests, the best topics that are going to be applicable for you. Over the course of the past couple months, I've had a really, really high request. Like a lot of people have been submitting requests to me to be guests on the podcast here. I mean, some days I'll get like three requests during that day alone. And, you know, we're only once a week and I take a break sometimes. And so there really is limited availability on this podcast. So when I bring on guests, I really strive to talk about 
topics that are going to be most helpful for the new social worker. And if you ever have a topic that you want to hear about, let me know. I am always open to suggestions. I'm not promising that it's going to happen, but I do love to hear from you and what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, and also too, how this podcast has helped you. I just talked to somebody today that they said, I had no idea sports social work was a thing and I'm going to look into it. I'm going to get connected with that organization and I want to be a sports social worker. And I think that is amazing that this podcast is just opening up the possibilities for you, inspiring you to think creatively and reminding you that you are never, ever stuck. Your skills are extremely transferable. So that is a little quick update on me. Um, I'm really excited to talk with Myra Wright today. She is our guest. She is an MSW and is a nationally distinguished social worker, consultant, educator, an international trainer, and facilitator with experience in organizational leadership, child welfare services, and curriculum development. I love that because it is a mix of mezzo, macro, and micro, all combined into one. I love the versatility of it. She is president and CEO of Wright Community Services, LLC, which is a company that strives to empower system-involved families through awareness and education. So with that said, we're going to hop right into it. And I do want to mention if you are a clinical supervisor or if you are in need of a clinical supervisor in your state, definitely check out the RISE directory. And if you offer clinical supervision, sign up, claim your free profile because you are needed. There are people right now who are looking for you as a clinical supervisor, but they don't know where to find you. So if this is you, definitely go to the RISE directory and add yourself on there. If you resonate with this episode and you love it, definitely share it with a friend, send them a text, be like, hey, you need to listen to this episode, it's bomb.com. I don't think we say bomb.com, I'm pretty sure that's for me stuck in the 90s, but you know what I mean. Uh, Also too, if you want social work resources, tips, tools, click the link in the show notes to sign up for my Friday resources email list. I prom- I don't send out every Friday. I wish I could, but I do what I can. And I do often send out really cool resources, workshops, tools, things that you can use that are going to help you as a social worker, specifically if you are a clinical social worker working in direct mental health and medical, in education, in schools, anything working directly with people, then that. Friday resource email list is for you. So that is all the announcement that I have for you. Let's hop into this interview with Myra. Okay, I lied. One last thing real quick. I have recently started the option for you to support this podcast on a monthly basis. I spend hours every week doing research, finding guests, interviewing guests, doing editing, and making sure that the information you get here is top quality and accurate. So if you are able to pitch in $10 a month, 
$5 a month, even a dollar. I know times can be tough, but any support that you were able to give the podcast, I truly, truly appreciate it. You can find that link in the show notes. Okay, for real, we're going to get to the interview. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine here, and today I am with Maria Wright. Welcome to the podcast, Maria. How are you doing today? Thank you, Catherine. I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be here um, with you today. Yes, yes, me too. I'm really excited. Um, So today we're going to talk about abolitionist social work. And I'm really um, interested in this to just learn more about it, like what it is, um, you know, what do we need to do? What do we need to know about it? Um, but first, before we get into all of that, can you tell us a little bit about you and what do you do? Yeah, of course. So um, again, my name is Maria Wright. I'm a social worker. I have my bachelor's in social work from San Diego State, my master's in social work from Cal State East Bay. I am uh, working to become a licensed clinical social worker and furthering my education. So, you know, my day-to-day job is child welfare, but I also am a trainer and educator and consultant. Awesome. Awesome. So we'll just hop right into it. What is abolitionist social work? Yeah, when you think about abolitionist social work, it's really an opportunity for us to shift the way that we interface with the community, shift the way that we learn and understand social work and the way that we support the community. You know, a lot of the work that we do in social work and what it's rooted on is a culture of oppressing others. We're policing communities, we're causing them to be reliant on the services that we offer. And, you know, we believe that we're doing the good work and we do have uh, good intentions, but sometimes the systems that we work for or work under um, are furthering the oppression uh, of the communities that we're working with. So it's really an opportunity to uh, recognize that and think about how can we begin to, um, you know, decriminalize social work and uh, really shift the understanding of the impact that we have as social workers in the communities that we service. Okay. So what does this look like in real life? Because you mentioned that you um, work in child protective services. I imagine that mm-hmm. you see this play out a lot in your work. Like, you know, what would be an example of this? Yeah, so an example for me is first acknowledging that the system that I work for does fail families, does oppress families, and was not built to provide the services that we hope to do so today, right? To protect, ensure well-being and safety. It really was to police uh, families and families of color. And so when I'm interfacing with a family of color, I acknowledge that, right? As a Black social worker, I want to acknowledge the fear base that a family may have when they're responding to the questions that I'm asking, when I'm engaging with them in their community. And I try my hardest to make sure that they know that I'm not here to judge or put high expectations, that I understand that the system is working against them. And I will say these things, I will acknowledge it. And when they're expressing the fear, I will sit there with them and not try to push forward or not try to minimize their fear or say, oh, no, 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 you don't need to be worried. I'm different, or you don't need to be worried. The system's not like that anymore. I'm like, yeah, no, I totally understand. I completely understand why you'd be worried. 
and why you have those fears and you know why you'd be resistant to receiving a service from child welfare because it is a, a system that historically and currently oppresses families, separates families of color, and you know the outcomes are often not favorable for families. Yeah, what is their response when you um, when you put it like that? You know what I've experienced with the families I'm working with, it's a sigh of relief, to be honest, um, because then they're like, okay, it is no longer an unknown or an unconscious. It's now, it's on the table. We're in agreement. We both understand. And I am here to help you. I'm here to not try to minimize, but try to understand and sit in that uncomfortability with you to see how can we work together to get through this system, right? I really look at my job as supporting families through the court system and the court process, as opposed to like putting them through it. And so it's, it's really a sigh of relief. And once that barrier is broken, it really allows for uh, the resistance to drop, right? Because they're no longer having to be resistant against me. Now we're working together within the system to kind of see how can we keep their child safe? How can we support their family and how can we have an outcome that's favorable for them? And when I build that connection with families, it does allow for uh, outcomes to be more in their favor because they're not resistant to me. And we're working together in a collaborative way to, you know, find a solution that works for their family. Yeah. And when we're talking about abolitionist social work, I see it a lot within child protective services and it does make sense when you when you explain it like that when you're working with your clients and so I understand you know why it's needed mm-hmm. um, but why do you think now it's coming up like is it just within child protective services is it all over the place like why why within the past um, I don't know maybe I've heard about it like in the past two years or so you know why do you think it's coming up now? Yeah, so where I'm at in California, we began this work um, in child welfare to uh, create equity and inclusion uh, in 2019 is when we began to roll out. But we started this work in the preparation before that because we realized that the, you know, the, you know, different systems or different decision making tools or different modalities that we have been given were great and they were impacting disproportionality rates. But yet there is still a large amount of people, primarily black and indigenous families, that were still being overly represented within the system. And because, you know, due to their community, due to their social landscape, due to their environmental um, aspects, they are more represented within the system, despite all the tools that we are already given. And so we really had to take a step back and look at, okay, what are some of the ways that we're interacting? What are some of the ways that we are thinking some of the things that are impacting our decision-making and really look more internally within the systems. And I think that that's what, you know, when you look at abolition social work, it's really looking at within the system, looking within our education as social workers and beginning to question and not just go with status quo, but truly question the education that we're getting as social workers and the system that we're working in as social workers to say, hold on, This has worked for a certain period of time, but it hasn't worked for the majority of the clients that we are serving. How can we adjust? How can we question? How can we challenge the status quo to see if there is a shift? Would it be more favorable for the clients? Would the clients have more favorable outcomes on their behalf and long lasting outcomes? And so I really think that, 
you know, with this generation of social workers that, you know, that we're in, that have been in the field, it's really a shift of, you know, the status quo of what's worked has worked for that group. It's no longer working. And we're going to be more uh, aware, more conscious about it and try to disrupt that. Yes, I, I love that because when there's changes that need to be made, it's up to us to to say something, right? Like we have the power to make changes and I can see why um, it gets, it can get like a, I don't want to say a bad name, but a bad rep, um, especially if we're talking to like the older generations, because it mm-hmm. seems like they're very much like, well, this is just how it is, right? Like this is the system that we signed up for. This is the school that we signed up for. This is the industry we signed up for. And this is just how it is. Yep. And our generation, um, a millennial, I'm guessing. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Okay. Yeah. Our generation is like, no, that's some BS. This is not how it's going to go in our generation. Um, but I'm wondering, Maria, what do you say to those people who, because I've heard on the other side of abolitionist talk that they just want to get rid of all the systems, but then mm. you're here working in the system. And I'm wondering, you know, what would you say to those people where it's like, well, Maria, you say that you're an abolitionist social work, social worker, you know, but you're working in the system. Like, what would you say in response to that? Yeah, you know, when I came into child welfare and and as a social worker, it was to be just that, to come and do it from within the system. A lot of what we're doing is without is with, you know, on the outskirts of the external part, which is great. We do need that movement, but also these systems have outlived all of us. They are situated and rooted in our communities, and it's going to be hard to change policy, budgeting, funding and uh, a structure without truly understanding it from within. And unfortunately, some of these systems um, will not go away until we address the environmental, the social, the policy aspects of what's actually happening. When we address institutional racism, then we'll be able to address some of these other systems that are upholding uh, oppression within the communities. When we think about mandated reporting, right, that's one of the areas that, you know, abolitions are looking at. It's like, mandated reporters are upholding the reports that are coming into the system. Well, until mandated reporters address their implicit bias, their expectations of minimal sufficient level of care, or they address that they report one family and they don't report it to other family, what does that mean? Then we will continue to have reporting. And so it's not just getting rid of mandated reporting, it's helping those people that have that internalized oppression ideas um, to look internally, right? I've done a lot of self-examination work. And as a Black social worker, I realize that I still perpetuate systems of oppression. And I have to be able to acknowledge that individually before I can do the work externally. And so I really think that it's a self-examination, internal work that needs to happen. Um, And once individuals do it, then we'll be able to overturn systems. Oftentimes people say, oh, you know, I want to change the system or the system does this, or, you know, we need to get rid of the system. And I look at them, I'm like, you are the system. It's you. And people don't, um, you know, see themselves as that. They see the system as like some external, like random thing over there that they just don't like. And it's like, until we are able to recognize and acknowledge that we are the system, 
and we need to do the work too, that it's not somebody else, but it's us too, we're going to still sit in this hamster wheel of, um, of, you know, wanting to make change, but it not being, um, as wide. And, you know, as social workers, I think that we can agree that, you know, one bit of change is better than trying to change a hundred things. We can change one thing and that one thing can be us. And so I think it's individual, um, individual responsibility too. And that's what I do. Right. Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you are enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to these ads from our sponsors. If you're planning to take the BBS Law and Ethics exam, the ASWB Master's or Clinical Licensure exam, or if you're studying for the MFT exam, then you need a proven program that can help you understand the exam questions and pass with confidence. If this is you, I highly recommend the Therapist Development Center. I personally use TDC to pass my law and ethics and clinical exams and found the program provided me with everything I needed to pass with confidence. TDC's program integrates various ways of learning in an organized fashion containing all of the information you need to pass without the overwhelm. And now, bonus, TDC is also offering a library of continuing education courses that fulfill your license renewal requirements and will support you in your career development. If this sounds like something that you need, visit their website, therapistdevelopmentcenter.com and use the code SWRISE10 at checkout to receive 10% off any of their CE courses including their brand new course, On the Edge of Life, an introduction to suicidality. You can also check out the link in the show notes. Right. Yeah, that's powerful because the system was created and designed and upheld by people. So by going, go talking with the people and working with the people within the system, it sounds like then we can begin to create change. Um, you know, it's going to be slow like molasses, (laughs) but I mean, like you said, slow change is better than no change at all. Um, And even just within your work, it says a lot about you and what you do and how you show up by taking that extra step and sitting with your clients in their fear, acknowledging like, look, Mm -hmm. I understand that I represent a system that has caused harm to your community, maybe even to your family. And just Mm -hmm my presence alone could be traumatic, Yes. right? Especially if we're talking about generational trauma and people who maybe they were taken away from their own homes, right? As kids and put in the Mm -hmm. system. And and then here they are, they were previous foster kids and now they're trying to raise their own kids. And they're like, oh, great. You know, here we go again, right? And back then that would have been, I don't know, let's say 20 years ago, a different system, back then, um, or maybe the same system. I don't know. Do you think it'd be different or do you think the people within the system have changed? You know, I do think that within the system, uh, things have changed. And I just, you know, believe that because of who I work with in the system. And some of those people have been in working in the system for 20 plus years. And some of them were the black, the first black social worker. And even they recall stories of when their clients saw them, they were surprised. And then they had a couple of different black social workers and they couldn't believe it. They're like, what's happening here? And so I do believe within the last 20 years, there has been a lot of change. And that is in some 
an individual change, right? Because individual people have decided to go into social work and make this change and make sure that they are having an impact with the community. And then also systematic change because they're like, let's make sure that we're hiring, uh, you know, uh, uh, employees of diversity and not just diversity in how they look, but social orientation, diverse thinking, diverse geographically, uh, because that is the community that we are serving and representing. And when you think about an individual impact, right, we are individually in the field with our community, right? We don't go into the community in a large group of people to somebody's house. It's one of us at the family's home engaging with them. And, you know, when you think about that one person, we can then go back to the table and have that impact within the system at a larger setting. Um, but yeah, I, I do believe that until we each individually see our part in it, it's going to be hard, even if we're seeing in a larger group, um, creating policy, creating procedures and rolling out new ways of engaging communities that uh, deserve the support. Uh, it's going to be hard. Yeah, for sure. What do you see as the long-term impacts or effects of the work that abolitionist social workers are doing today? The long-term, you know, a shift in the education aspect of it, right? Really allowing for students to come in and challenge the material. When we think about the material that we are reading and reviewing, um, who wrote those books? Um, And where do those books come from? And so, you know, starting in education, there's going to be a change there and and what the curriculum looks like. Moving into the system, there's going to be a change in expectation that you not only have the core practice model, but that you also are expected and required to understand and look at equity and inclusion, right? Understand diversity and respect that. Uh, There's going to be a shift in who's able to sit at the table and what does that look like and whose voices are there. And so it's really going to be a shift um, in how we operate and not just the status quo or what's worked in the past, but really giving opportunity for change and question and challenge to what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I can already foresee some people that are just going to be not on board with this change. I can think of a couple of people I know personally who are like, Oh, we have this new DEI director, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and they're making all these changes. You know, they want me to do this email signature and they, um, they're changing policies. And so how can we as social workers, because a lot of times we don't want to be confrontational. We don't want to, um, ruffle feathers, but this is when we need to be ruffling all the feathers, right? So what would you say to somebody who might be intimidated or nervous about, about seeing these changes happen and how can we, how can we support each other? Yeah. And that's, you know, I've seen that actually play out because what we, you know, what we have is equity and inclusion and everyone's expected to go through it. It's already happening where I work. And so there are people um, of, you know, different generations, different nationalities that are like, why do I have to do this? Why am I going through this? Why did I get picked to go this time? And, you know, I think it's really about perspective. Some people, they think, oh, if I go through this, I don't want to be seen as like a racist, or I don't want to be seen as like the problem, or this isn't for me, I'm retiring in a few years. And it's like, well, while you are still here, you are still interfacing with the community. 
And if you don't want it to be necessarily about you, understand that it's the system that you work in and it's the community that you're serving. And I think once people have an opportunity to kind of, you know, let their guard down and and not make it an individualized experience if they don't want to, really put it back into the system. Like, okay, the system is finally trying to change and the community that I'm serving, um, you know, has looked the same over the last, you know, decade or so. Let me try to take a moment to understand this. It's broadening perspectives and giving opportunity for continuing education, right? As social workers, we're expected to continue our education. And some people do that in their comfort. And, um, and you know, when you think about a right to comfort, that's also um, a characteristic that's upholding oppression. So when you don't want to get out of your comfort zone, you're actually upholding oppressive behaviors. And so you know, it, it is it is hard to challenge the status quo. It is hard to remove yourself and go into a discomforting situation. But I really have to just humanize this, that all of our clients that we're serving, that we're working with, are constantly in discomfort. They're constantly expected to behave, to move through, and to engage in a system that they do not feel comfortable in. And if we expect so much of our clients, why can't we just give a little bit of ourselves to do the exact same and be uncomfortable? We do not allow our clients to opt out. We do not allow our clients to say, oh, I don't want to do parenting education or I don't want to go. No, if they say that, then we're like, oh, you are refusing. You're disengaging. You're not moving through the, you're not doing your plan. You're not moving through the services and we get really, you're non-compliant, right? All the hot words that we use to describe clients' behavior when they're resistant, that is us. That's us when we don't want to challenge the status quo. And so it's simply just putting yourself in a position of allowing perspective to broaden, you know, allowing yourself to learn something new and really just doing something out of the ordinary like we expect our clients to do all the time. Yes. Yes. And that is so important because this never ends. There's always more to learn. The field is evolving so much. Even me, someone corrected me on using um, substance abuse instead of use the other day. And I was like, oh, you know, my bad. I I did, you know, because it's so ingrained in us that we need to actually stop and think you know, is this the best term to use? Are we really doing our clients justice? Or like you said, are we perpetuating um, the system? Are we just being part of that? And so it's a constant, constant learning and being open and adaptable to that. Um, And for me, it's very humbling because I will fully admit, I don't, I don't know a lot. Like I know my lane, right? Like I know the things that I know, but there's still so much out there that I don't know that I have yet to learn. And just being open to these conversations um, is so, so important. Almost like holding a mirror up to, to the social workers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I try not to expect more of my so, clients than I would of myself. Yes. Yes, for sure. And so um, one last question that I'm wondering is, what is something that we can do or we can change for ourselves in order to um, to practice? I don't even know what the correct word is. Practice it, get involved, um, change the system. 
I don't know. What is the right terminology for that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a good starting point is to just educate ourselves on what abolish, abolish, uh, abolition social work means and what it looks like. And I would uh, reference the NASW, NAASW, which is a network to advance abolitionist social work. And if you go to that website, you can really learn a lot more about what is already happening, um, what research have they done, what, uh, you know, analysis of the community have they done. And they've really done the work uh, globally to gather information about those social workers that are doing the work in the field. What is their understanding of it? And what does it mean to them? And so I would just encourage people to, you know, Google it, watch YouTube videos, read online, because I think if you just, uh, you know, when you hear the word, it's, it can pitch you on the defense. Um, but if you give yourself an opportunity to listen and, and learn more about it, maybe there's something that can resonate with you. And maybe the thing that you've kind of been frustrated with about the system or frustrated about with your job and, and where you're working um, would connect with the idea of challenging that and thinking, is there a different way that we can do this uh, that would be more beneficial to the staff and the clients, right? Because what's happening internally absolutely um, impacts the outcomes of our community. Yes, definitely. And I just think of the bigger macro impact that this is going to have when all of us, when a generation of social workers educate ourselves and are able to advocate for ourselves and to push back on the leadership and the systems or even take leadership ourselves, right? Like put ourselves in those leadership positions um, so that we can have real and lasting change for, you know, for the benefit of our clients, right? Because that's what we're all here for is for the clients. So, well, thank you so much, Maria. Uh, where can people find you and connect with you? Absolutely. So you can connect with me on uh, Instagram. It's Maria, M-A-R-Y-A, Right Consulting. So you can find me on Instagram. You can also find my website. Um, and I have social worker period stuff here because if you're a social worker, you're a social worker period. And that's really what the abolition social worker looks like, right? When you think about who is in the community, who is doing the work of a social worker. And so, uh, yeah, look for me on Instagram. Thank you for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you love this episode, be sure to subscribe and text this episode to a friend. If you want more, there are a few ways we can get to know each other and work together. First, definitely subscribe to the Friday resource email list. The link is in the show notes. And that's where you can learn more about the courses I offer, including clinical essentials, for the future therapist, and the Pulse Basics for medical social workers. I'll also be sending out occasional tips and resources and other happenings within the social work industry. And for all your clinical supervision needs, be sure to visit risedirectory.com. This is a national directory of clinical supervisors for social workers, and we also provide free resources that you can use within your own clinical supervision. Lastly, if you have more individualized needs, I do offer coaching, individual consultations, and am available for public speaking engagements for social workers and change makers. Lastly, 
the boring legal stuff, but very important. The information in this podcast is not meant to be a supplement for therapy, professional advice, or clinical supervision. This content is provided as is solely for informational purposes. It is not legal, health, or safety advice. I am not advising you as a therapist. Organizations should engage their own experts to ensure any adoptive measures are compliant with applicable laws and standards in their jurisdictions. The opinions expressed by individuals or organizations are their own and do not reflect the views or opinions of Social Workers Rise or Catherine Moore. References to specific products or organizations do not constitute any endorsement or recommendations by Social Workers Rise.